Well, um, you have a Bible in front of you. Uh, we're continuing on in our series in Proverbs. This morning is slightly different. Uh, we're going to be, over the next five weeks, uh, moving around a little bit in Proverbs, um, considering different kind of themes, kind of big themes that we see in the book of Proverbs, really important themes. And this morning, um, we are beginning with uh, the theme of friendship. And I want to begin uh, by uh, sharing a quote with you, which will be on the screen for you. Uh, it's by uh, an old Anglican bishop called J.C. Ryle. He says this, the world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It is a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. He really captures there something that we all deeply resonate with and which the Bible significantly speaks to, that is that friendship is both an essential thing and an encouraging gift that we all need. And Proverbs particularly is full of wisdom on friendship, who to be friends with, how to be a good friend, and ultimately it points forward to Jesus, the most faithful, loving friend that we could ever know. So if you're a Christian here this morning, one of the questions for us is, do we have and experience close friendship? Are we a wise friend? Do we have wise friends? Are we a wise friend? Proverbs is here to help us figure that out, to find and be a wise friend. And as a church, one of the key ways that we should think of ourselves amongst many, we think of ourselves as family, we think of ourselves as children of God. One of the key ways we should think of ourselves as, is as friends, friends with Jesus and friends with one, one another. The, the church, both local and universal, should be a place where we find significantly deep friendships. And as we think about reaching those around us, gospel friendships will serve to be one of the most compelling witnesses of the gospel to those who don't know Jesus. So I was preparing for this this Sunday. It reminded me that one of my desires for myself, but also my prayers as we planted this church, is that this church would serve to provide you with those kind of friendships, that you would find and have those friendships amongst these people here. And if you don't know Jesus this morning or you're just figuring that out, let me invite you to consider that you were ultimately made for friendship with God. You were made for friendship with God, that you will find no better a friend than Jesus, and that you can and should find deep friendships within the church. So the, the main thing we're going to see here this morning as we work through Proverbs is that we are to be and have wise friends that help us walk with God. Be and have wise friends that help us walk with God. I'm just going to, first two points this morning, I'm just going to and kind of introduce us into the topic of friendship, and then we'll spend most of our time in Proverbs. The first thing we want to see together this morning is that, firstly, we were made for friendship with God and each other. We were made for friendship with God and each other. But before the foundation of the world, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed as a triune fellowship of love. We see that in John 17. And we could say a triune friendship of love, because as Jesus comes into the world, he defines and talks about that love in friendship terms. So that means that as our Creator, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that means as our Creator, friendship, love is intrinsic, is part of the fabric of creation, and part of us as those who are made in His image. 
We see in creation with Adam and Eve that he walked in the garden. He didn't stay at a distance. He wanted to be close. And as he created Adam, he recognized that it was not good that man should be alone. So God made a helper fit for him. In Eve, God provided Adam with his first friend in the form of marriage. He provided friendship through marriage. It was a marriage, a friendship for the purposes of forming and filling the earth, of spreading the glory of God. Friendship was created to be fun, yes, and to provide companionship, yes, but from the very beginning, we see that friendship ultimately was made to make God famous. It was made to make God famous. That's where their, that's how their friendship was defined. That's what made it a deep friendship. That's what made it a real friendship. And we see even from the beginning, therefore, that friendship is only truly defined when God is at the center of it. But then sin came into the world, didn't it? Sin entered the world. Proverbs 16, 28 says, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. That's what Satan did. He separated through his words the closeness between man and God and between one another. We saw strife between God and man and then strife between one another. So in Facebook terms, in creation, God added us as friends. Then in our sins, we unfriended him. But he still desires friendship with us And in Jesus, he sent us all a friend request. That's ultimately what the story of redemption is all about. He begins to restore that relationship with humanity. By his grace, he starts to redeem a people for himself. And he begins to call them friends. Exodus 33, he says, The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And then in Isaiah 41, he speaks of Abraham as my friend. So as he begins to redeem a people, he begins to call them friends. And then, of course, with the coming of Jesus, God has made friendship with him possible for everyone. That's the second thing we see. We were made for friendship with God and each other. We are saved into friendship with God through Jesus. And the reason we need to be saved into friendship is because in our sin, we haven't just unfriended God. We've become enemies of God. James 4 says, you adulterous people, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, to be a friend of our sin, to be a friend of temptation, would make himself an enemy of God. But then in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we see God come and befriend sinners. Jesus was the friend of sinners. John 15 really is the key place in the New Testament where we see this friendship love expressed by Jesus. It'll be up on the screen for you. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do, I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Do you see there that Jesus frames his death in friendship terms? And also he frames obedience to him in friendship terms. You are my friends if you do what I command you. That's the context for the love that God has shown us and the life that we are to live for Jesus. The context is friendship with him. Jesus has shown us the greatest love possible in laying down his life for us. He went to the cross and died the death that enemies of God deserve to die so that through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus, we might become friends of God. 
So first and foremost this morning, I want you to see that we get to, that we must become friends with Jesus, that Jesus is our greatest friend. He is the perfect friend. He, he is the perfect embodiment of all that we'll see in Proverbs with regards to friendship. Nothing in this life, nothing in your life or my life can surpass the, the friendship that we can have with Jesus. And making friendship, make, make, making Jesus your greatest friend will not only bring you untold joy and happiness in this life, but it will also serve your friendships with one another. Francis Schaeffer says this with regards to if we, making Jesus our, 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 our greatest friend, serving our, our earthly friendships. He says we are, we are finite and therefore we do not expect to find final sufficiency in any human relationship, including marriage. The final sufficiency is to be found only in the relationship with God. If a man or a woman tries to find everything in a man-woman or a friend-friend relationship, he destroys the very thing he wants and destroys the one he loves. He sucks them dry. He eats them up. And they, as well as the relationship, are destroyed. But as Christians, we don't have to do that. Our sufficiency of relationship is in that which God made it to be, in the infinite personal God on the basis of the work of Christ. So make Jesus your closest friend. He will perfectly love you. He will never fail you. He will always forgive you. He will remain faithful to you into eternity. And in his goodness, God has also given us one another as friends so that we can walk well and wisely with each other in this life. That's the third thing we see, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time. We were made for friendship with God and each other. We are saved in the friendship with God through Jesus. We need wise friendships that help us walk with God. We need wise friendships that help us walk with God. So with Jesus as our first friend, our greatest friend, we are also to make friends with wisdom. Proverbs 7 verse 4, say to wisdom, you are my sister and call insight your intimate friend. So Jesus, we are to have Jesus as our greatest friend. Then we're to make wisdom our friend so that we can make one another friends. And really Proverbs tells us what kind of friends we need and what kind of friends we need to be. Seven key things that Proverbs teaches us on friendship. Firstly, we need close friendships. Proverbs 18, verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That verse tells us that there's a difference between a companion and a friend, that it's possible to have lots of companions, lots of company, but not have any real friends. Friend in that verse there literally means one who loves. Okay, so kind of try to empty the definitions that you or the culture might have in your mind about friendship. Friendship is one who loves. Do we have friends who, who love us and not just people we have a laugh with? Verse 24 tells us that the person with many companions, which other translations would say unreliable friends, companions, the person with many companions may come to ruin. That is that their friends, their companions will desert them when things get difficult. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Do we have those kind of friends who will stick closer than a brother? And consider in the verse, in verse 24, friend is singular, companions is plural. Bruce Waltke in his commentary says the significance of friends lies not in their quantity but their quality. 
And we see here, too, that the bonds of friendship can go deeper even than family. Some of us will have deep friendships within family. That's a great thing. Maybe with a sibling or with a cousin or whoever it might be. But for many, that might not be the case. Maybe distance prevents that or lack of shared faith prevents that. It reminds us, too, that since friendship love can be deeper than the bonds of family, that we shouldn't idolize family at the expense of friendship. So as we begin this time in Proverbs in these verses, let me ask you what may be an uncomfortable but vital question. Do you have a close friend? Do you have close friends? If you do, great. It's a good thing. As we walk through these verses, let me ask you to consider just how deep those friendships really are, just how wise they are, and how maybe you can help them to grow deeper. If you don't feel that you have that, then don't despair. It's not uncommon. Friendship is something that changes too with seasons of life. And we'll have to work hard to cultivate it from time to time, sometimes harder than others. If you're a Christian, Jesus is already the best friend you could ever have. So rest in that. But seek to cultivate at least one deep friendship with someone else. And maybe we need to be humble enough to consider why we don't have a close friend if we've answered no to that. It may be for reasons outside of our control. It may just be that we're in a, a changing season of life, but it may also be because we've been lazy about it. We've isolated ourselves. We've hidden behind our personality. Or maybe we've just been a bad friend. Maybe we need to own that. And if we do, we have then the opportunity to change and to cultivate better friendships moving forward. Let me also encourage you to know that the church can and should be a place where we cultivate these kind of friendships. So if you answered no to that question, being in this room is the best place to start. And if you have close friends, you need to work at that. You need to maintain that closeness. Good friends don't just fall into our laps. We need to work hard to make deep friendships. Vaughn Roberts has a, a really helpful little book called True Friendship. Uh, he says this, the way to have good friends is to be a good friend. So if you're seeking close friendships, start by being a good friend. He said, the way to have good friends is to be a good friend. Instead of lamenting that no one invites us for a meal, that our church is so unfriendly and that everyone relates at such a superficial level, let us take the initiative to open our homes and lives and see what happens. I'm not pretending that's easy. I'm not pretending that happens overnight. But the invitation there is to work at it, to be a good friend. Proverbs 18, 24, that verse on the screen would also have us to consider whether our friends are truly close friends. The Bible's vision for friendship is more than shared interests and hobbies or perspectives or experiences or even age, although that's helpful. Our closest friendships will be spiritual friendships, ones where we seek to walk side by side with Jesus. It's too easy, it's too, too often too easy to kind of say we can't have close friends because we don't have similar interests and backgrounds and personalities, and those things can be helpful, yes, but actually, do we realize how much we have in common when we realize that we share Christ? This verse, verse 24, would also have us consider, are you spreading yourself too thin with friendships? Are your friendships a mile wide and an inch deep? It calls us, that verse calls us to consider how we should invest in a few friendships well. Jesus had 12 disciples, but even within those 12 disciples, he had 
three who were closer to him. And even within those three, there was John, who was the one that Jesus loved. Let me just speak for a moment to married people and those who are unmarried. If you're married here, your marriage is more than, but it's not less than a friendship. So make sure you cultivate friendship with your spouse. Your spouse can be your best friend and often will be, should be maybe, but make sure they're not your only friend. It will serve you and your marriage to have close friends outside of it, whether that's on your own or together, whatever that would look like. As I mentioned, we, we go through different seasons in life, whether it's retirement, bereavement, empty nesting, and if our spouse is our only close friend, then those changing seasons will become harder. What about the unmarried? Well, let me just encourage you to consider that you don't need to get married to experience the deep love and intimacy of friendship. Maybe the reason we often think you need to get married to have that kind of friendship is because we've got a shallow definition of friendship. Consider the friendship between Jonathan and David in the Bible. First Samuel 18, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Describes their souls as being knit together. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And then Jonathan himself, or David himself says, I'm distressed for you in verse 2 Samuel 1, 26. I'm distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of a woman. So we see that friendship love can be extremely deep and intimate. When it comes to male-female relationships, how should we think about those? Well, wisdom suggests that our deepest and closest friendships are with the opposite sex. Sorry, with the same sex, not the opposite sex. Men and women can be friends for sure, but the way in which those friendships play out requires wisdom for the sake of our holiness and remaining above reproach before other people. And whilst we want to invest in a few friendships well, so this verse would encourage us to invest in a few friendships well, we also want to be sensitive and conscious towards becoming isolated and forming cliques of friendship. So as a church, we should be conscious, as Christians, we should be conscious about how we can fold other people into friendship in our life. Maybe they won't end up being our closest friends, but we need to be conscious about how we fold other people into the life of our church and provide other people with friendship. Another verse with regards to close friendships, Proverbs 27, verse 10, do not forsake your friend and your father's friend and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. That verse speaks to the fact that we need friends who are physically close to us, who can get to us in an emergency. It's no good having lots of really close friends who are really far away. Because if something happens, if there's an emergency, like in verse 10, who's going to be able to come and help us? We need to make sure we have friends who are not just close in terms of love, but who are close in terms of location. I'm not going to put a, an amount of miles on that and become very prescriptive, but we need friends close by who can help us in difficulties and who we can spend time with. That verse would also suggest to us that we shouldn't run ourselves ragged trying to maintain old friendships that are distant. We shouldn't run ourselves ragged doing that at the expense of investing in local ones. And that may mean, and I speak as someone who's moved around a little bit in life, not massively, that may mean we just have to make some decisions about who we spend time with. It may mean friendships 
we had in, in previous places are people we don't see as often for the sake of making close local ones. Let me encourage you as well in this room, not just this morning, but in Sundays ahead and times ahead, to look around you and consider who among us would benefit from our time and investment with respect to friendship. So we're to have close friendships. The second principle, we're to have wise friendships. Okay, and the rest of them aren't as long as that, I promise. Proverbs 13, verse 20, up on the screen. Whoever walks with the wise become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And then verse 20, chapter 22, make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go, with, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. So we are to make close friends, but we need to be careful about who those friends are. That's what those verses are telling us. If we choose unwise friends, friends who are prone to anger or lust or greed or violence or whatever it might be, we will suffer harm. We'll become like them. We'll fall into a trap. That's what those verses tell us. So those verses should prompt us to carefully consider who we make friends with, but it also may prompt us this morning to consider friendships we are currently in that may need to be broken off. Are there friendships in your life which do not help you walk well with Jesus? Maybe we also need to take this chance to consider the influence we are having on our friends. Friends influence one another. Are we influencing for good or for bad? Friends are like toddlers, right? We spend enough time together. We'll pick up what each other says. We'll pick up each other's habits, even often without realizing it. So we need to be careful about how we speak and act and live between our friends. Close friendships, wise friendships. Third, faithful friendships. Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. That means they stick together with one another through thick and thin. They are there together with each other through weeping and rejoicing. To steal from marriage vows for richer for poor and sickness and in health. They're there throughout all of those things. In stubbornness and selfishness, they stick together. We work through misunderstandings or misspoken words. We don't let tension or conflict remain unresolved. We're not to be fair-weather friends. Don't forsake your friends when things get hard or life gets busy or their life gets tough. Remain faithful. It's too easy, isn't it, to let business and life, and there are seasons that are busier than others, it's too easy to let business and life get in the way of making time for and maintaining friendships. Let's make sure we don't do that. And maybe as we enter summer, particularly over the next six weeks, let me get you to consider how maybe in this time, when we're a little bit quieter in other aspects of life, to consider how you can spend these weeks investing in friendships, to intentionally consider how you can invest in making and maintaining close friendships around you. And verse 17, Proverbs 17 there, if we were to have close friends who would help us in adversity, the assumption there is that our friends know when we're going through difficult things. So the verse would encourage us to consider how open we are with our friends. How can they half our sorrows and double our joys if they don't know what those joys and sorrows are? How can we call on them for help? How can they come to us and help us in difficulties if we don't call on them, if we don't tell them? So let me encourage you with wisdom to 
have honest, open friendships, to stop carrying what troubles you and weighs heavy on your heart. Don't carry those things on your own. Take them to Jesus. Take them to your friends. Close friendships, wise friendships, faithful friendships. Fourthly, honest friendships. Proverbs 27, verses 5 to 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And then Proverbs 29, verse 5. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. If we want to have real, true, deep, meaningful friendships, we must be prepared to be open, to be honest, and to be candid with one another. We want our friends to be comforters, yes, but not cards when it comes to speaking truth into our lives. It's likely, almost certain, that the most significant seasons of sin or straying in our lives has occurred when we have had the fewest real, have, have, have had fewest real friendships, when we've isolated ourselves, when we've not been in a position to have people speak into our lives. So as a friend, be prepared to do what verse 5 and 6 tells you, to rebuke your friends. They start living and behaving in a way that contradicts Jesus' commands be prepared to rebuke them, to do it with gentleness. Yes, but don't hide from that. Don't shy away from that. And that verse would suggest, too, that we do it openly, face to face, not behind backs. That responsibility, as we grow this church, lies not just on the elders or the leaders of a church. We're not in every conversation. Sometimes we think, oh, that person's doing that thing that's wrong. Uh, maybe I should let a leader know or... Maybe I should go and say to them, hey, could you have a word with such and such? No, we're all called to have honest, candid conversations with one another. We're all called to speak the truth and love to one another. We all need to be brave enough and loving enough to rebuke one another. Verses 5 to 6 in chapter 7 tell us that better is open rebuke than hidden love. So actually to not do that, to not be candid with one another, according to that verse, is unloving. It's unloving not to be candid and to speak truth into one another's lives and to call one another back from strain. We need to be friends, as verse 5 in chapter 29 tells us, who don't flatter. Okay? We're to not, we are to, to give praise to one another. We should encourage one another, but we shouldn't only do that. Good friendships that help us grow in our faith require gentle pruning and correcting. Does that happen in your friendships? If it's not happened in a long time, then I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not the perfect friend. It's probably because we haven't been brave enough and courageous enough to speak in to our friendships. So that's as a friend, and then as a friend who receives that, be humble and ready to receive rebuke. We are to receive them as faithful wounds from a friend, not a stab in the back. Your friend's not stabbing you in the back if they fairly, gently, and biblically correct you. They're loving you. They're loving you. So don't view it as an attack. Don't view it as gossip. Don't view it as being stabbed in the back. View it as love. If it's done biblically and gently and fairly. One of the ways we seek to cultivate that, that, those kind of conversations is through small groups in this church. So if you're not part of one, then you need to be. And we pray that that kind of candid, honest, open conversation would then spill over into everyday life. 
what is it then we're to speak into each other's lives? Well, that's the fifth or sixth thing. I've lost count now. Fifth or sixth thing we see. We're to have counseling friendships. Proverbs 27, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, but the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. So what makes a friendship sweet? What makes a friendship truly sweet and enjoyable? Proverbs 27, 9 would tell us that it's heartfelt, earnest counsel. It's what we say to one another. It's how we counsel one another. We see that in the New Testament. We're to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We're to speak the truth in love into one another's lives. A significant, crucial part of friendship is that we speak gospel truth into one another's lives, that we tell each other the gospel story, that we help one another apply that into our lives. We need to invest God's Word in one another's lives. We talk about sports, yes, have a laugh, joke together, have fun. Sometimes that's totally necessary. But make sure it's not the only thing that you talk about. Make sure you spend significant time speaking about Jesus amidst sin and struggles in life. Ask spiritual questions of one another. Tell me what you're finding challenging right now as you walk with Jesus. Tell me what you're encouraged by. How can I pray for you? It's a really simple, easy way to take our conversations below the surface. Are you carrying any cares or concerns right now? So be a friend who counsels. Seek godly friends who will counsel you. And be patient with one another as we seek to do that because we're not all going to do it perfectly, right? We maybe say things or do things that are not always perfect. We need to work hard at becoming wise counselors. Sixthly, trusting friendships. Proverbs 16, verse 28. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. So when it comes to a friendship, don't be a gossip. Consider how you use your words both within and outside that friendship carefully. Be so careful with how we speak of our friends and to our friends. Words can easily create a lot of pain and conflict, very easily. If a friend confides in us, don't break that confidence. Good, close friendships can be swiftly damaged by gossip. We need to be careful with our words. If we gain a reputation as someone who breaks confidence and who gossips behind our friends' backs, then we will we'll not have any close friends. No one will want to be our friend. What happens when friends do disappoint us and hurt us? Do we just bolt at the first sign of a mistake? Well, if it's our fault, if we have misspoken, both within or outside the friendship, we should seek the forgiveness of our friend. And if we are a friend who's been wronged or been gossiped about or one of our friends has been loose with their tongue behind their back and they come to us and seek forgiveness, our first instinct should be to for forgive them. That's the last principle we see here. Trusting friendships and forgiving friendships. Proverbs 17, verse 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a, a, a matter separates close friends. There are times when the loving thing to do in a, in a friendship, whether that's in church or the workplace or at home or in school, the loving thing to do is to overlook it, to absorb it and just move on. Particularly in mind here are more minor offenses, like maybe a misspoken or a harsh word. There is a time to overlook 
for the sake of love. That doesn't mean we throw repentance and rebuking one another out the window. And as a friend, we should strive to repent and seek forgiveness for even the small things we do to offend our friends. But in a lot of instances, wisdom will call us to overlook an offense for the sake of love. We choose to look the other way because we have love as the bigger picture in view. And verse 9 there would tell us that we are not to bring it back up. So if we cover an offense, we don't store it up as secret ammunition for later on whenever our friend annoys us. We forget about it. We don't bring it back up again. We, we bury it. Digging up old offenses, whether we have covered them on our friend's behalf or whether they have confessed them to us and we forgave them, digging up old offenses will create distance in friendships and damage them. Don't do it. Whether in marriage or the church or family, whatever it might be, don't dig those things back up. Friendships will face trials and difficulties. They're not all plain sailing. There will be friction. We must choose to forgive each other in the same way that Christ has forgiven us. He is the best friend that any of us could ever have. So make him your greatest friend. He is the truest friend who will love you at all times. He will be your closest friend. He's always with you by his spirit within you. He is the wisest friend you could ever walk with. He is wisdom incarnate. He is faithful. He will never leave you or forsake you. He is honest. His words will rebuke you, but he does it because he loves you and wants to change you. He is the wonderful counselor, the most trustworthy person you'll ever know. And in our sin, he not only covers our offenses, through the cross, he removes them and buries them in the bottom of the ocean forever. If you don't know him as your friend, you can if you come to him today. You don't have to wait to have the, the greatest friend you could ever have. He will forgive you when you confess your sins and turn to him in faith. And he will be your friend into eternity. He is not a fair weather friend. And Jesus doesn't just half our sorrows and double our joys. He is the source of eternal joy. And one day he will cause all sorrow to cease. Only he can do that. And when we make him our greatest friend, we will put ourselves in a position to have deep friendship with one another. So let me encourage you, invest first and foremost in time and intimacy in your friendship in Jesus. View that as a friendship that needs to be maintained and invested in and kept. He is close to you. He is near you. But in order to experience that, we must draw near to him. Be a wise friend. Be a wise friend. Start with that. And then invest in wise friends. Unless together show the world the beauty of biblical friendship. Few things will provide a more compelling witness to a watching world than the love of Jesus played out in deep, meaningful gospel friendships among the church family. Let's, people, let's show people that. Let's fold them into that as they embrace Jesus as their friend. And let me just pray for us, and then we're going to come to the table together um, uh, and, and take of the, the bread and of the cup. Father, we thank you so much for the friendship of Jesus. We thank you that he is loving, that he is faithful, 
and that he has taken away our sin forever. Father, help us to be wise friends and to have wise, joyful, life-giving friendships. We're so thankful for that gift. Father, if that is not our experience right now, we pray that you would grant it to us. In Jesus' name, amen.